Hey everybody, it's Christina Caramo and welcome to It's Solid Food. There's a new religion. You've heard of it. Social justice. Why do I say it's a new religion? Well, it's a new religion start by experts. You know, experts know everything. Yesterday episode, I talked about technocracy, and this is a somewhat continuation of the concept, but we're talking about a different facet of technocracy. Yesterday, we focused on a lot of health and medicine. Today, we're talking about the social aspect, it's the social justice movement. And what's really interesting is this little quote here from Harvard University or their their medical, medical postgraduate alumni association or what have you. And then this quote, Globally, ethnic minority pregnant and birthing people suffer worse outcomes and experiences during after the pregnancy and childbirth. These inequalities have been further highlighted by COVID-19. Watch the panel discussion on maternal justice. The interesting part is birthing people. Birthing people? And then they go on to say, after people were complaining, birthing people, there's only one group of people who give birth, that's women. And they said, the webinar panels use the term birthing persons to include those who identify as non-binary or transgender because not all who give birth identify as women or girls. We understand the reaction and this terminology is in no way meant to erase or dehumanize women. Uh, that's exactly what it does. And that's typical of the social justice crowd. They, they do not think things through. They just repeat talking points to make them pay, to make them feel saved in their new religion. And, you know, I I think of a quote by um, Thomas Sowell who says, the road to hell is paved with Ivy League degrees. <laughs> and this is the problem with our nation, our nation having this concept that power should be concentrated in the hands of those who graduate from Ivy League schools. And the Ivy League school graduates are the ones who should rule the world because they're the smartest people. And this is the kind of garbage they're coming out with. No, and they're the ones who are peddling the social justice movement. And then because they are the they are the high priests of the social justice movement, they should get all authority. And they determine how you become saved. You get your salvation by buying into and, pu and pushing out and peddling their mess. We have listened to these people from Ivy League schools and our society is in a complete dumpster fire because of them. Because the bad ideas have circulated and permeated these institutions at all angles and all facets. And these same people are the ones our leaders turn to to make all the policy, to, turn, to learn to learn about policy decisions they should make. And these people are nuts. They're nuts. And this is just another extension of the technocracy garbage that we're seeing. And as I think about it more and more, on many levels, America has been run by technocrats. For years, and I'm just now figuring it out myself. And that's what we're going to talk about. I'm Christina Caramo, and now it's time for some solid food. Solid Food, where we discuss all things in Christian apologetics, culture, and politics. So as I was talking about um, this funny quote from Thomas Sowell, that he says, the road to hell is paved with Ivy League degrees. And his, and his point was that these intellectuals or experts or technocrats, to me, they're all one and the same. But he was speaking specifically about academia. Um, 
not so much uh, other fields. But he said these people who, you know, who are like he mentioned, like Noam Chomsky, who is a wonderful linguist, but that doesn't mean he should be out there advocating for public policy decisions. Now, that doesn't mean that people should be excluded. But the point is that these individuals should not be the ones that we turn to merely because they are, quote unquote, experts are good at one field. And as he, he pointed out that with these experts, they do not um, they do not pay any consequences for their bad ideas. And they're allowed to keep peddling out these ideas. And we've created this society where if someone has enough degrees or they have enough technical technical expertise, if they come from the right institutions, therefore they should be making the decisions for society because they are from the best institutions and people who come from that institution know what's best because they said so. I mean, it's just really like circular logic. And no better place to see this to me is really an education. Um, America is supposed to be this mighty, mighty nation. Yeah, we're cranking out idiots. And some may say, well, why? Well, for quite some time, these Ivy League experts, who most of them don't have children, and let me say this very clearly, some people don't have children because they can't. Some people just haven't found the right person to have them with. So I'm not trying to diminish the voice of people who don't have children. Do not mix my words. But my point is that many of these individuals don't have real experience with children. That's the point. So it has nothing to do. Please do not, please do not, like, again, some people have medical problems. Some people just aren't able. Some people, for, I, I met a guy once, I, I just I have to be very clear. Some people may get offended. I met a guy once who, he was a victim of abuse. And his parents were abused. And he just was really afraid to have children because he felt like he was just too dysfunctional to be a parent because he experienced such abuse. So please. Don't mix my words. What I am saying is that many of these individuals have no experience with children. So they literally sit in their ivory towers and they read a bunch of academic journals and research papers and theories. And then they want to come to educational institutions. They want to come to school boards. They go to the Department of Education. Um, they also go to State Board Education and want to push for policy decisions based on academic journals and research without much interaction with children at all. And many of us have seen this firsthand. And then many of the teachers who have children and work with children are like, um, you guys don't know anything about kids. You don't know the first thing about kids. So these people have no real world experience with children. However, because they, I'm from Yale, I'm from Princeton, I'm from Brown, I'm from Vanderbilt, I'm from U of M, I'm an expert. Listen to me. I have these series of degrees behind my name, so I know what I'm talking about. But then when they push these degrees and then the school boards feel like, oh, well, they're from the most distinguished educational institutions. So they know what they're talking about. Then they put the pressure on the parents and the legislators, not the parents, the teachers and the legislators to enact certain policies. And then the classrooms are in utter chaos and the kids aren't learning and they become nothing more than robots. I remember one elementary school I was working at and uh, I was teaching in a particular program. I don't want to give too many details. And so we had this system where if the, and we were working with elementary children and we were, had a system where if the kids would not behave, we had to have some kind of recourse because I have witnessed this. I mean, my, let me say this, my undergraduate degree within communications. Why? Because I actually, initially I want to be a sports broadcaster. Um, yes, I love sports. 
But however, things in life turned out as it may, and I wasn't able to pursue that. So I found myself, and I say that very funny, uh, I found myself working in education. And so nevertheless, uh, I worked, I've been working in education ever since. And some of the things I have observed, uh, <laughs> I mean, the breakdown of communication is just abysmal, but it's beyond the breakdown of communication. It's just like, it's these experts. We do what these experts say. They know what they're talking about. We don't ask questions. We follow because if we don't, we're bad people. And this has been going on for years in education in America. So nevertheless, um, one of the problems, before I get to the program I was working in at the time, one of the problems is that when a child misbehaves, the schools do not want to send them home. They don't. They do not want to send them home. They want to let the students continue to misbehave, continue to disrupt class. And here's the thing, and I've said this before, most classes, I would argue 90% of the students are absolutely wonderful. 2% are like just straight up terrible. Uh, the other 8% are ready to go either way. They're just looking for someone to incite them. So if everybody's behaving, they're going to behave. If everyone, if, if, if the 2% is getting rowdy, they're going to get rowdy right with them. And then you have of the 90% who are well-behaved, who, sent, who simply are being well-behaved. Most are being well-behaved because they want to be sweet kids. And the other ones simply don't want to get in trouble with their parents. Um, but nevertheless, that 2% can incite the other 98%. And this happens constantly. And so as a teacher, you want to remove the misbehaving child from the classroom. Because you have no recourse. Because remember, a long time ago, I mean, when I say a long time ago, I mean like in the 50s and 60s and 70s, even before that, the child misbehaved, the teacher would spank the kid. But then the corporal punishment was removed from schools. So still, you had ability to put people in detention, uh, make people write sentences, you give them chores. It's all kind of other ways you combine to make the child have some kind of punishment. Because that's the way humans are. If you want to extinguish a behavior, there must be punishment. If you don't punish, then you don't get extinguishment of the behavior. However, because of these Ivy League experts, instead of punishing, we want to rationalize. Let me tell you something. You are not going to rationalize with a screaming six-year-old. You're just not. There's no way to rationalize with them because they're six and they're screaming and they're being completely rational. But then what happens is sometimes the kid's behavior start begins to borderline on dangerous and they're dangerous and disruptive. And so I've watched, I worked at one school and the kids, I mean, it would be kids completely acting terrible. The school psychologist would pull them out the room, explain to them how terrible their behavior were and that there's consequences to bad behavior. But then you give them no consequences. So what you're saying is totally stupid. You're telling a little kid, that when we misbehave in life, there's consequences, but you don't give them consequences. You let them follow you around for 10 minutes and then give them candy and tell them to be nice. And then they act terrible again. I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. So nevertheless, back to what I was originally saying, I was working at a particular program. And so we had these two ideas that if kids didn't behave, we would have them hold a ball in the air. So we just had like a softball and they would just hold the ball straight up in the air, just hold it in the air just like this. This is what they did. And it would work. We're like, okay, go hold the ball in the air. They sit there, ah, the arms hurt. We're like, too bad. You should act right. Principal tells us, oh, no, you can't do that. It's corporal punishment. And we're like, we're not hitting anybody. We just tell them to hold the ball in the air. So they don't want to act right. Oh, no, you can't do that. It causes physical pain. Okay, fine. But then we had a new policy. If you're not going to behave, 
you're going to write sentences. That's what you're going to do. Because oftentimes, where, especially the particular school I was working at, if people weren't behaving, so we'll call home. And that's if you have the right phone number. And that's if the parent cares. No. And um, the parent, the parents who did care, the parents who you can get in touch with, their kids aren't acting up in the first place. So um, then we said, we're going to write sentences. If you don't want to behave, you're going to write sentences. The principal comes up and said, oh, no. That's considered corporal punishment. We're like, what? She's like, oh, yes. It could cause physical discomfort. Them doing a lot of writing. Yes, this is what the principal told us. And so we said to her, well, what do you want us to do when we have a misbehaving child? You don't want them pulled out of class. You're not going to send them home. We can't have them hold the ball in the air. We can't have them write sentences. So we're just not allowed to punish them when they misbehave. We're talking about elementary kids. We're like, what do we do? She's like, I don't know. That's exactly what the principal told us. Uh, one particular high school I was working at, um, in my current capacity, my teacher friend, his class was so out of control. This is the high school. Um, the high school. His class was so out of control. He recorded the class, and he showed it to the principal, who's his boss. And he's like, "What? What do you expect me to do? How can I teach in this type of environment?" Now, the principal, Doctor So and So. Doctor so-and-so, she's like, I don't know. So this is what's going on. And what was crazy was I went to a, a symposium uh, at the African-American History Museum. This was like maybe four years ago. And this same incompetent principal who I went to that, that high school she works at multiple times, this woman is so incompetent. And she's still Dr. So-and-so. I'm not going to say her name. I'm not going to go there. But this woman is com a complete She's a, she's a ditz. She's ditzy. And she's like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And it's like, what do you mean? But that's the problem. They got letters behind their names. They come from great institutions. And so therefore, they know what they're talking about. And it's a problem. It's a massive, massive problem. And we have got to ask ourselves, we can't, we can't keep doing this. We cannot continue to have a society where we feel as though only certain people are qualified to make decisions. And everybody's qualified to speak. Even these people I find to be very ridiculous. I'm not saying that people from these Ivy League institutions or these experts, wherever they come from, should somehow be anathemized, right? I'm not doing that. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that we should not have a point in society where certain groups of people are allowed to make decisions for society and we don't question them because of the titles and the letters and the institutions that they come from. That's insane. That's, that's, that's technocracy. Even though yesterday I was dealing with health and medicine and science, today I'm talking about the social justice movement. And so a perfect example of these experts and their failed ideologies is in education. That's why our educational system is a mess. These people, again, and I'm not saying it because of just I'm not I'm saying it before you make educational policy, you need to have real world and real life experience with children first. I digress. So getting into the religion of social justice, 
they have this idea that you get salvation from fighting for the oppressed and concentrating power in the hands of the oppressed. I was listening to a, a interview yesterday and this guy was pointing out that it's the reason why the social justice warriors are so obsessed with trans women of color. They're so obsessed. Trans women of color, trans women of color, trans, black trans women, black trans women. You know, it's like, why are you guys so obsessed? Because that's the ultimate unicorn. See, the way they, they see the world, it's, it's Marxism. That's what we call it, cultural Marxism. They see the world through the lens of the oppressed and the oppressor. That's the two classes of people they see. And so the way you get salvation, the, the oppressed already come with salvation. The people who have these categories, they already come with oppressed. However, for the oppressor, you get your salvation by fighting for the oppressed. And say, for example, me being a black female, well, in the social justice movement, I have two, uh, two oppressed, oppressed checks, right? But I'm not trans, I'm not queer. So therefore, I'm missing that. So I have to make sure that I fight for the transgenders because then I, because that's something. I'm a black female, yes, but I'm Christian, I'm heterosexual, I'm cisgendered, I'm able-bodied. So therefore, I still am missing four categories here. So I must make sure that I fight for the people on the hierarchy. So actually, a transgender black person so they would actually rank higher than me on the social, um, the social justice victimhood hierarchy. There's, there's, they, they claim to fight hierarchies, but they created another hierarchy themselves. But they claim they don't like hierarchies, but their hierarchy is based on who they consider to be marginalized. And so therefore, we must structure society to make sure those voices are exalted and they make all the decisions. Well, first of all, I believe in an equal society, but you guys are asking for some things that are completely ridiculous. Like one, asking for men to compete in women's athletics. Or like Harvard, you want to refer to people as birthing persons when you dehumanize the experience of, of women. And then, and I was listening to this guy yesterday, um, and this was on Uncommon Knowledge. Um, I forgot the name of the host of the show. He was discussing of a very famous case in England where they, the transgender activists want uh, biological men put in women's prisons. And people are like, no, that's horrible. There's a reason why we have some things segregated by sex. And they're like, what could possibly go wrong? And they're like, well, for one, you could have women get raped in prison. And they're like, that won't happen. That won't happen. Because in their estimation, people behave poorly because they are either oppressed or oppressive. So when the oppressed is liberated, and the oppressor acknowledges their oppressor status, then we will have a fair and virtuous society. They fail to understand human anthropology. They fail to understand that the problem in society isn't oppressed versus oppressor. The problem in society is the wicked human heart. That's the problem. But in their estimation, they don't, they don't, they're not Christian. You can't be a Christian and social justice warrior in the context I'm referring to. Now you can create your own definition all you want, but in this context of being perpetuated society, because it's against the gospel. Because the, the, the scriptures are clear that all humans, no matter your status, no matter your categories, have wicked hearts. And therefore, that's the way we understand society first and foremost, that we are wicked sinners needing of a savior. All of us. 
And so then human evil makes more sense when you filter it through the understanding that humans have wicked hearts. But when you filter human evil through the clap, the, the understanding of oppressed and oppressor, that's how you're able to get these individuals who act like everybody in prison is a victim. They're in there because they were oppressed. No, some of them had tough childhoods. Yeah. And some of them are just criminals. Some of them are evil. Some of them torture people for fun. Yeah, the, the guy who was grew up an orphan and started selling drugs at 10, he's not the same thing as a serial killer. Those are two totally different people, but they, in their mind, that evil only happens because people are oppressed. But then it, start, it becomes a self-refuted ideology because then if you look at the oppressor, well, maybe the oppressor became the oppressor because they were the oppressed. So where does it end? It doesn't end. It's stupid. But nevertheless, in their world, that the oppressed gets their, sal their salvation because of their oppressed status, and the oppressor gets their salvation for fighting for the oppressed. Because, and the reason why I use the word salvation, which uh, is very much, or uh, has a religious connotation to it, because <clears throat> they see it as a good person. Because they malign people who don't buy into their ideology as evil, hateful bigots. You're evil, you're terrible, you're a bigot, I did an episode maybe like three or four weeks ago with like Keith Olbermann and this other lady on Joy Reid's show saying that they need to be crushed. Come on, Trump supporters. They need to be crushed. They need to be removed. Um, and that's what Keith Olbermann said. They need to be removed from society. These people need to be tried. They need to be marginalized. And AOC even put together, put tweeted out about anyone keeping list of these Trump sycophants. So they they feel justified and saying these kind of things because they feel some sense of moral superiority. They feel good about themselves for adopting the social justice ideology. And those who do not conform are evil and therefore need to be maligned and marginalized because they are part of the oppressive class. Okay? And so that's what goes on. And, and I give a perfect example of this. This is really funny. So I don't believe in trying to like weaponize my race in, uh, in situations to get my point across. I don't believe in doing that. But it's very funny when you interact with liberals, sometimes they don't know what to do with themselves when they interact with a person who carries certain characteristics that they consider it to be inherently victimhood status. Let me explain. So this is about two or three years ago. There was this big uproar in the city by me because they were the library was having transgender story hour for preschool children. Now, adults, you know, regardless of how I feel, adults can do what adults want to do. But this is clearly a Luke 17 two situation where you have individuals who want to sexually corrupt children. They do. They want to teach children. It's OK to explore their sexuality. It's OK to be transgender. It's a, no, it's not OK. Why are tax dollars going to teaching little kids to be transgender? And what's happening is it was just a court case recently in England where this person, this woman, she won, she sued and she won because she was saying that she deeply regrets that she was a kid. So you have these experts. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm attacking these experts. To me, they are dumpster fires. I wish I could get a meme with a little dumpster fire going off in the corner. Because these people are terrible. They are terrible. So they're going around giving kids... Uh, puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and doing all this stuff. These are confused kids. And some of the parents, think, again, because we're taught, trust the experts, trust the researchers, trust the scientists. They know, okay? And I remember one clip I was to, this is a separate case, 
whether the the mom, her son was saying that he's a girl and the mother's like, no, this isn't okay. So she, she's a single mom. She doesn't know what to do. So she takes her son to see a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist is telling her, no, he's transgender. You got to go along with it, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I don't want to do this. She feels like it's not right. He's too young. And the psychiatrist or the psychologist, whomever, doctor says to her, do you want a dead son or a living daughter? Now, you take a mom who doesn't have community, who doesn't have support, who isn't in the word of God. She's like, I'm scared. I don't want my child to die. So she just goes along with it. So let's fast forward to this case of England. Same kind of situation. And this person, this woman is like, she regrets it. Now she's sitting there with a full beard. She went through puberty as taking testosterone. So she looks like a man. She's mad because she wants to be a woman. And this is the problem. But again, in America, because these experts say so, we just go along with it. We don't ask questions. The experts say it. And so therefore, we must do it. And so with this transgender story hour, they're teaching to little kids this. And, and so they were having, and so this uh, county commission, not county commissioner, it, they, this particular city, they don't have, I forgot the title they call it, but they're not they're home city council members, but that's essentially what it is. So she was basically saying that she thought maybe we should think about this before we start teaching little kids. Um, having transgender story hours. So, of course, the LGBT mafia. And again, I always have to repeat myself because for some reason, people who don't understand, I'm not talking about your neighbor. Not talking about our friends. We're not talking about, because I have people I love near and dear to me who identify as homosexual. We're not talking about your cousin. We're not talking about your grandkid. This is not who we're talking about. We're talking about political activists who want to force the rest of society to comply with their worldview. Let's make it clear before you start going, ah, no, no, this is what I said. So, of course, the LGBT activists were all upset. They're ready to fire this woman. I mean, they literally ran this woman out of town to the point where she moved to a city 30 miles away from that city. Okay, they literally chased this woman out of town. And so they're up there with their signs and yelling and screaming. And so they're having people in the community uh, come to speak. So I... Get up to say something. Now, I'm going to admit, I was a little nervous. Why? Because I was massively outnumbered. They were hostile. They have little kids screaming at people, transgender rights. You're I mean, it's kids, they're like 10 years old screaming about somebody transphobic. I mean, it's horrible. They're literally brainwashing these kids into the social justice religion. So the um, they have the people get to the mic. It, uh, maybe about 40 or some odd speakers. I... It was me and maybe like one or two others. Maybe about four of us, four or five of us who got to speak. They heckled everybody. They heckled it up, big it But when I got up to speak, they didn't heckle me. And then one person attempted to heckle me and they shushed them. And I laughed because for the liberals, for these leftists, they're like, she's a woman of color. We can't heckle a woman of color. Because if we do that, maybe we're secretly racist. Maybe it's our unconscious bias that's wanting us to heckle this oppressed voice. So we don't heckle. We listen. Because it was interesting, like the other people that got up to speak, because um, the other people were white or the male, the men, the white men who got up to, there's like five of us, right, who complained. The couple of white guys, oh, they heckled the heck out of them. The white women who spoke, they heckled them mildly. Me? Oh, no. She's a woman of color. 
we don't heckle black women. You know, it was just so funny to me because I know they want to heckle me so bad, but because of their, their intersectionalities view. And if you're not familiar with intersectionality, um, intersectionality is this concept that basically you, because of your category and immutable characteristics, it, it not just impacts, of course, our characteristics impact the way we see the world, but they are the deciding factors. That's the way the the intersectionality crowd sees it. So it's not like, of course, me being a woman and me being a, uh, categorized as a black woman, of course, that has some impact on the way I see the world. It's some impact on my experience. It's part of who I am. But that does not the determining factors of who I am and how I see the world and how I interact. Well, for the social justice crowd, those are determining factors. So that's why you're born oppressed or oppressor. And, and it was hilarious because they wanted to heckle me so bad. But but nevertheless, prior to the, that was like two stories in one. That was funny. But also, I began to quote some statistics about how rapid onset gender dysphoria, uh, which is a fancy term for transgenderism, especially for children, was just like at an astronomical rate because it's being normalized in the culture thanks to these social justice warriors coming out of these Ivy League schools and not just schools, but in media and academia and entertainment and blah, blah, blah. And they're pushing their social justice religion to the point where religion, oh, Christianity is an oppressor's religion. So that's the problem. A lot of people think this stuff is just, they think it's just like a bunch of crazy professors because they, oh, professors are weird and eccentric. Okay, well, I'm a professor. I don't think I'm eccentric or weird. But here's the thing. They act as though these ideas just sit in the towers and these people just smoke cigars and pace around like they're the next Mark Twain talking. No, these people go out and they take their stupid ideas with them, their social justice religion with them, and they want public policy and they want corporations to bow down to their religion. And if you don't bow down corporations to our religion, we're going to make sure we ruin you. And so, therefore, the corporations go to the employees and like, okay, you have to do this, 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 and this, and this. And one of my classmates at Biola, he actually lost his job because they wanted him to participate in something that was anti-biblical. And he's like, I'm not going to do it. This violates my religious beliefs. And they, they fired him. So now the social justice movement are going to corporations, to movies. They're going to politicians. And the way they, they, they sway the public. See, they, that's the thing you guys have to understand. It's something called the Overton window. Politicians act based on what the public clamors for. So the goal is to shift the opinions of the public to get politicians to enact certain policies. But first, we got to clamor for it because if they start doing too much we don't like, we vote them out of office. Unless it's a bunch of election fraud going on where we lose our voice. But I digress. So what happens is the people in the media and the entertainment industry, their responsibility is to shift the Overton window of the public so we will begin to buy into their baloney and their trash. That way we will elect the AOCs who sits there with a $50 sweater damning capitalism. She's selling sweaters damning capitalism. Think about how stupid that is. This is how idiotic these people are. They are completely absurd. They are absurd on the highest level. But this is this is what happens. This is this is what's going on. And so we cannot sit and allow these ideas to just sit back unchallenged. One thing I encourage every American to do, and I'm working on, um, is is you have to be independently employed. Um, I'm not saying solely independently employed, but you need to be and be able to be independently employed as much as possible. 
And the reason is because these corporations, if you cannot work for a corporate, I know sometimes it's hard, but to me, if you can avoid working for a major corporation, do it. Get away from them. They're horrible. And I'm going to tell you why. Not, I'm a capitalist, but we need a, with the COVID restrictions, it's basically centralizing power into the hands of a few corporations. And this is dangerous because the social justice warriors have the corporations doing their bidding by forcing employees to comply with their social justice movement or you can't work. Just like they're trying to get people to comply with the COVID regulations or you can't work. So if people, we should have a mixed economy where some, sometimes big companies are useful and they're helpful in many regards. Like sometimes I don't have time to go to the mall, but that two-day prime works perfectly. But we don't want to rely on that either because we want to make sure that our small businesses are open and thriving. We need small, mid, large corporate. We need all of that. We need all of that, right? But what's happening with with the evaporation of the small businesses thanks to COVID restrictions is centralizing power in the hands of a few companies. That's the funny part about leftists. They claim to hate billionaires, but they're about to make uh, the guy who heads Amazon until uh, the first trillionaire because of their COVID restrictions. But they claim they hate the wealth gap, but yet their COVID policies are funneling are fueling the wealth wealth gap on 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 nuclear levels they are totally ridiculous people they because they don't think anything through they just talk and talk and then when you start asking about a a different perspective and saying well why don't we think this through or how about this oh no You, you, you 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 can't say that you must comply and don't ask questions this these are the people who want to be the thinkers and the leaders of our society And they never think through. And this whole social justice religion is based on revenge. It's based on revenge. We have to stick it to... Like, I saw an article that heterosexual black men are the the white people of the black community. What? Like, somebody actually wrote an article. And now, now you can say, well, that was just a dumb guy who wrote an article. Yeah, that part might be true. But guess what? It isn't just sitting in isolation. These ideas are meant to permeate the culture and shape public policy, shape the policy of corporations, and educational policy, and policy in medicine. And the social justice people hold the keys to salvation and hold the keys to your ability to function in society. And if you don't bow down to them, they're going to prevent you from being able to function. And they want to ruin your life. And then what says, I'm hearing a family being broken apart. I was talking to somebody not that long ago who said his nephew has quit speaking to his own parents. He's so caught up into the social justice movement and he's like, I'm not talking to you guys. And they keep saying like, what do we do? He's like, you know what you did. You know what you did. He's white. His parents are white. But he, he apparently feels as though you guys are bad because you're a part of the oppressor class. And until you buy into the social justice movement, until you acknowledge your privilege as white people, you can't attain salvation. But then even me as a black woman, I am still heterosexual, I'm Christian, I'm all these other things. So now I too have penance to pay. Oh, you think you were going to escape? Oh, no, you don't. You got to buy into every iota of the social justice movement or you are on your way to the social justice hell. I mean, it's a false gospel. And then you have um, certain churches who are buying into the critical, the critical race theory and intersectionality. That's all part of it. That's all part of it. It is, it's, it's, it's the doctrine. See, it's like the social justice movement. They have their tenets. Their tenets come from a lot of it from the critical race theory, their tenets, their teachings come from the concept of intersectionality. And so these churches are buying into it. 
And they're creating this false gospel that why are Christians fighting for justice? Okay, justice is the way you mean it. It's not a biblical justice. It's Marxist and it's revenge. You're not calling for justice. You want other people to pay for the actions of other people because they happen to be less melanated people like these other individuals. You want other people to pay because I happen to be a heterosexual. You want other people to pay because they happen to be Christian. You want other people to pay because I identify, I don't identify as a man or a queer or non-gender binary or whatever else. It's about revenge. It's revenge. That's not Christian. That's that's crazy. And, and most of these social justice warriors are extremely ignorant of history. The only thing they know is America is bad, that America didn't live up to the Constitution. And so that's the only thing they can think. It's the only thing they can know. And these people are such idiots because they don't have any concept of the world. I am so, I mean, I talk to some people. So I've heard some people talk. I know they're black like me. They're upper middle class and they will sit there so oppressed. Oh my God, so oppressed. This is overwhelming. Like, shut up. You are gross. You're not oppressed. Shut up. But this makes them feel good about themselves. So even the people who, according to the social justice warriors, are part of the oppressed class, even though these people aren't oppressed in any way, shape, or form, and in, in fact, doing quite well in life, they have to convince themselves that they are oppressed to get their salvation. So here's the other kicker. This is I'm going to wrap up. So if you have these certain categories that, according to the social justice and the intersectionality crowd, makes you a victim... If you don't experience actual victimization, you have to perpetuate victimization. You have to perpetuate that you are oppressed so you can get your salvation. So for the oppressed, oppressors, they have to acknowledge they're oppressed. And for the oppressees like me, I have to acknowledge that I'm oppressed. Because if I don't acknowledge that I'm oppressed, I'm buying into the oppressor's language. Therefore, I'm an oppressor. This is crazy. And if you're confused, I'm confused. I, I get I, I get what they're saying, but it's dumb. It's just dumb. I don't I I, I mean I could think of some more highfalutin term to use. No, it's just dumb. Period point blank. These people are clowns. They are complete clowns. They're clowns using another adjective. I'm not gonna say. They're a special kind of clown. <laughs> if you know me, you know the word. I'm kidding. <laughs> And that's all I have to say today, folks. So thank you for tuning in to this solid food. You can check out our website, my website, ChristinaCaramo.com, uh, YouTube and Facebook at the Christina Caramo Project, Instagram at Caramo the Great, that's Caramo the G-R and the number eight, and also on Twitter at Rise Phoenix Fly. I know, I know, I have to, con- I have to condense these names to just one name, but I don't because I made these social media accounts a long time ago. But nevertheless, Love you guys. God bless you. Remember to be brave and bold because the gospel of Jesus Christ must be told. Toodles.